Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We're going to begin Zechariah 14 this evening. Uh, and it, it's, it's dealing with uh, Jerusalem, of course, uh, and a battle, a war, uh, the, the return of Christ, or in this case, the, the showing up of the Messiah. Uh, and one of the things that's been a struggle throughout, as you look at these end-time events, is, is the battles, and uh, you've got Jesus coming back, you know, in the Battle of Armageddon, which is uh, up north. Uh, so again, just real quickly, I'll lay a foundation. Here's Galilee, Jordan, the Dead Sea, and then down in here is Basra in, uh, in Edom. Here is the Valley of Jezreel, Armageddon. Here's Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And this is where the Battle of Armageddon, I mean, again, just, just simply, the Battle of Armageddon takes place at Armageddon, or the Hill of Megiddo. Jesus' feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and in my you know, simple understanding, Jesus is going to split the sky, come down, and land on that Mount of Olives. Just he left the Mount of Olives, he's going to come down on the Mount of Olives. Then we got that crazy verse in Isaiah 63, who is this striding forth in, in splendor, uh, you know, with his garments stained with blood from Basra. It's, it's the Lord. So is he coming back in Armageddon? Is he coming back on the Mount of Olives? Is he coming back in Edom? And all this is the same events. Is he going up and down? What's taking place? And so what I've done tonight, and again, these are not all, these are not all my original ideas, um, but you can dis- I mean, it's, you can disagree. I mean, I, it's not a disclaimer, meaning if it doesn't make sense, it's not my idea. But it does. This does make sense at this point. But there's all kinds of issues when you're looking into the future. It's one thing to look back at historical events and try and get it accurate. We can see our country, our culture struggling with history. I mean, it's already happened. They took videos of it. They recorded it, and now we don't understand it. It's like. That was history. Now imagine looking into the future, and these events haven't even happened yet, and you're going to be accurate. And then it's a mystery, and then Jesus says, besides, and the day will surprise you. So even when you get it all figured out, you have that disclaimer hanging over it, it's going to surprise you. And so as I teach this, go through this, this makes sense uh, to me right now, uh, and and we'll take a look at it. Uh, First of all, on page 4... I'm going to do this right here tonight and break down. You've got Ezekiel 38, 39, as you know, the Gog and Magog. That's that's a battle. That could be Armageddon, but yet it's. I don't think it is. And again, sometimes I think it is, sometimes I think it's not. Uh, we'll talk about that. And then we're going to have uh, Armageddon. Uh, did I spell that right? G E D. Okay, I always get. I gotta get mar- li- uh, filler in my marker here. Uh, and Armageddon is going to. First of all, the verse. I've got it written there. Point page four under Armageddon. Uh, C, and this helps maybe. Revelation sixteen fourteen. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the, key phrase, whole world to assemble them for battle. Now, when I think of a battle, I think of, for example, Goliath and David. Saul's troops are on this side, the Philistine troops are on this side, and they're faced off and they're going to have a battle. And when the battle's over, there's a winner and loser, they go home. Uh... Then, uh, assemble them for battle on the great day of God, God the Almighty. Now, point A under there, battle is the word polemon, and it means war. Now, just that very fact, it opens up World War I, World War II, Korean War. That was not a battle, that was a war with multiple battles going on. Uh, 
so it means war, but not a single battle. It refers to a series of battles and is better understood as a campaign. And many, you go back to the 70s, and people are talking about the Battle of Armageddon. And I'm from the 70s, and so all my eschatology is coming out of, originally is Hell Lindsay, growing out of Hell Lindsay, developing, uh, backtracking, changing, going back. I mean, it's like a continual flux. So I've always tried to figure out the Battle of Armageddon. But if you say, no, this is a campaign, and one of the things we're going to see right here in this verse, the whole world, and that's going to be key. Armageddon is the whole world, all the nations. Um, point B, the Greek word for uh, mach-he means fight or combat. I wish it was used in a military sense in the New Testament, it's not. It, we've read it in James. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's the word fight. It'd be like if you're having a fight. It used to say, I engage in battle, fight. Hence, I strive, I contend, I dispute. And the references, you've got James chapter 4, verse 2, so you fight. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 4, quarrelsome. Uh, John six fifty two to argue. And so if it was, again, you can see this in Greek Greek. Uh, texts that are explaining the, the, t the Greek text. Uh, you can see this in different end times, eschatological books. But this is, the Battle of Armageddon is not a battle. It is a war, like World War I, World War II. It's like a campaign. It's a series of battles that include the whole world, and the target is the Jews and Jerusalem. Now we go back up to Gog and Magog without reading through all the verses. Uh, you're familiar with that. Uh, it's, it's the well, I've got a map right there. Uh, I, this is out of 2007, Hope for Mary's Last Generation. And I think I've got the line too far north. See, that's one of those things. I used to play with Russia being coming down from north. And really, when you get into the definitions of all those countries, it's it's and especially when you go back and realize the time it was being written, uh, and we do the Ugaritic text and talk about the mountain on the north, uh, it's going to be Turkey in that area coming down. Uh, Turkey, Syria, and in those areas. And you, again, maybe so Russia, maybe not, but Russia is not in the text. Absolutely not in the text. That was early 1900s where they're reading, you know, trying to read Moscow and Rosh into the text of being Russia. Not even, not even the case. But again, it looks good for a while, but again, we're, we're learning and growing. And so I'm going to even, I would change that now from 2007. That's going to be mainly, again, when I say this is what it is, that's what I think now. Obviously, it hasn't happened yet, and obviously I'm changing as I'm teaching. Uh, but definitely, it names very clearly, it names those countries, uh, including Libya, or Put. It names Cush, which would be in that area over uh, towards Iraq, Iran, northern Saudi Arabia, Persia, which is, uh, you know, Iraq, Syria, and those other nations up there, including Turkey, especially northern Turkey. And that is not a matter of the whole world because, you see, it says Tarshish and Sheba and Dedan, they are all said in those verses, if we went back and read them, that they're saying, hey, wait, wait, you're just coming to plunder. You're just coming for this material. Those nations, you know, and Tarshish refers to Spain and maybe even further west. I mean, it's, it's the furthest west of the biblical world. Uh, and so you could, you know, there's room to think the western world. But again, that, that's now you're reading into it, but it's on the table. And Sheba and Dedan, those are further south. And they're actually challenging, it, it appears, or they're not participating, at least, in this invasion of Israel. And so this Gog and Magog is not the whole world, and there's really not a, a war, because as you read it, they go come in from the north. They're always invading from the north. The, the, that's the way the land's laid out. And they're destroyed in the mountains. And we talk about mountains, we're not talking about snow-capped mountains. We're talking about the high, hilly the ridge that comes up from the Rift Valley with the Jordan River and rises up into the middle of the country, they're destroyed in those mountains. They spend seven months collecting the bodies of the dead people, and then they use the, the, the weapons for seven years. And that's all laid out in there. 
Um, but there's not a real battle. It makes it sound like it's an event from God, like it's a natural, like uh, earthquakes and, and lightning and things uh, destroying. Now again, that's the way it could be. That's figurative, and it's actually a war. And, you know, Israel's response is described as God. But it doesn't say Israel's even fighting. It just says they go out and collect the dead bodies, or bury the dead bodies. Um, also in there, from the lands that attacked, the, that attacked, that were followed Gog down in the battle, and this is an individual, it appears in there, it's like a leader. Some, you know, could it be the Antichrist? Could be, I don't think it is at this point. But their, their cities, their capitals burst out in flames. So it's like whenever you see, if, if imagine today, and again, we've got to kind of stay in the text, but you also look at everything through the lens of where you're at in history right now. Imagine a nation invading, coming from the north into Israel, attacking, driving them into the Mediterranean Sea. And what, what is Israel going to do? They're, they're, they're already retaliating into Syria. Uh, they would they would launch something and burn up all their all the major targets of the nations that are invading them they blow up. that bible doesn't say israel releases their nuclear weapons but it sure sounds like that it may all be god doing all of it and israel's just standing and watching but that is different than what we're reading about in armageddon when does ezekiel 38 39 take place uh i have it i didn't even put the chart in here uh, I have, in, in, in a couple of books, I have referred to it as being before the 70th week. For example, as we were, again, not that that's right. In fact, I don't even know if I agree with it, but it's like, it's got to happen. It, it hasn't, you can say, well, it's already happened historically. Well, then, you know, name, name the event, and you can't. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not challenging you, but it's not Babylon, it's not Assyria, it's not, it's not the solutions or the Greeks. Uh, is nothing that's really taken place. Although all of these countries right now would be considered, they're, they're Muslim and they are terrorist states that are all coming together here on this map. Uh, but it hasn't happened yet. And so I, I put it before the 70th week, and so that'd be point A, before the pre-trib rapture, before the 70th week or the pre-trib rapture. Uh, some put it at the end of the tribulation, which would make it almost Armageddon. Some put it at the beginning of the millennium. And I've, I've played with this idea recently that once, again, hear me out, because it's like if you disagree with it, it's going to be like, that's heresy. But it's like when Jesus comes back and he dis defeats this, this military, that's the Antichrist army, there will be nations around yet and he establishes his kingdom, it's possible, like before the sheep and goat judgment, shortly after the sheep and goat judgment, that wouldn't make sense. But they get together and they decide, no, we're not going to let Jesus take over, and they invade at the beginning of the millennium, and they're instantly wiped out. And now that's something, you can play with that, there's certain things that fit, but as, as soon as you say how it fits, four things pop up on why that's ridiculous. You see how this goes? It's like, ah, it fits here then 16 things rejected. Uh, the end of the millennium, and now that's in already in Revelation. They just moved this battle of Gog and Magog to the end of the millennium where Satan is released and gathers all the nations. But then again there, he gathers all the nations. He gathers all the world for that final invasion at the end of the millennium, which doesn't match these very specific nations that are identified by Ezekiel. And we can, we can place them today. And then some say the middle of the 70th week. So I don't know. I would, if I was, if we're, if we're all like, you know, going to bet here and put our money on something and then watch and see what happens, I would probably say it's something that's going to happen before the tribulation begins uh, in what we'd say in our, in our contemporary lives it would happen and may set up the tribulation. In, in other words, when Israel is complete, these nations are completely defeated, Israel may have access to the Temple Mound because no one's there to stop them, or it's a part of the peace treaty, and they sign a covenant with the Antichrist because these other nations, and he says, okay, and they make some kind of agreement, and they enter into that 70th week covenant. So I would place it there. 
and you got that, that verse that says they used the weapons for fuel for seven years. Well, I mean, it's just laying right there, seven years. It's, it's right there. Uh, and it, it all makes sense, especially when it talks about they're, they're invading a land, and di different commentators and end-time teachers teach it, you know, they look at it differently, as if we're waiting for Israel to return, and we are for the great recovery, the great restoration, but yet Israel has, and they are living, I've been there, you, you guys have been there, there's, there's peaceful villages, I mean, there's, there's war, there's conflict, but uh, not, not like Chicago, <laughs> okay, uh, I remember a long time ago, a uh, long time ago, I was 2002, 2001, I it was my, my, my first year, I think, at Dallas Center. There's a, a, a foreign exchange student came and came to the high school, and then she came and spoke. And now watch out. I mean, I'm embarrassed. I mean, there's so many things I'm embarrassed of. This is one. I didn't, you just don't know. I mean, you've you got to learn. And so I see the news. And every time you see the news, there's a bus burning and a pizza parlor got blown up in Israel. I mean, it's just like, what a war zone. So she was from Israel. I thought, how did she get out? How did she get here? What, what a brave person. So she had come through my class and had made a presentation. So I, I, I said, well, you know, what, what's it like living in Israel? She goes, oh, it's, you know, and she made some kind of a comment that it's like, but, I mean, isn't it, like, dangerous? I mean, don't you have to wear, like, you know, helmets and, and look out for, and she goes, oh, no. It's like, oh, she doesn't know Israel like I know Israel, <laughs> and, but she's from Israel, and, she's, and she lived in Bethlehem, and it's like, she goes, well, there's certain places you can't go, but it's, she says, no, it's, it's peaceful, and I was like, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I did this, I was like, I had no, I, I had nothing, it's like, my whole world was just like, it's like, well, then, then, I, I don't know, and then we had a chance to go in 2007, and my first thought was, I don't want to go. I don't want to die. In fact, Tony and I, we had a lawyer come over to our house and did our will. Said, I'm going to Israel, probably going to die, you know. And I, I, I was totally, I got there and landed in Tel Aviv, got in a cheroot. We started driving. I mean, there's like signs and stoplights and traffic and people walking on the sidewalks. It's like, I mean, it looks like America except it took us a long time to get here. And then we got there, and they dropped us off, and we got to walk into the old city. With the, it's late at night. And you just walk in, there's lights, and it's... I was completely taken back. It's like, this is not what I expected. Nonetheless, not, that's, I, didn't, I don't have time to say all that. But this, at this time right now, they invade a peaceful, unsuspecting, unwalled land, and that's there today. Now, it will be there in the millennium. It will be there at the end of the millennium. But this could take place before uh, the 70th week begins. It could set up. I don't know. I don't know when it takes place. And commentators are all over the map. And uh, I'm willing to change, and I have changed. But I'm going to say this tonight. Gog and Magog, the battle of Gog and Magog, is not what we're talking about here in, in Zechariah 14. Now that limits us with all these other events to being a battle, a, 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 the battles within the war or the campaign of Armageddon. So now what I'm going to present now is the idea that all these other end time battles are part of the Armageddon campaign. And again, it becomes confusing for me because it's in the Valley of Jezreel. Jesus comes back on uh, the, the Mount Olives. He comes back from Edom. He's got to appear in his splendor glory and overthrow the Antichrist simply with his appearing. So it's like, okay, how many battles is this? Well, here we go. I'm going to now go back to page one. And these are some... I, I spent some time on this, and I was making maps and trying to get this set up. Uh, but... And here is the Gulf of Aquaba right here. Here's Iliet right there. This is Edom. This would be uh, uh, Basra. 
right down here. Petra is right here. Again, not that detailed. Here's Jerusalem, Mount of Olives. And this is Megiddo Valley going this way, Mount, uh, Mediterranean Sea, Mount Carmel's right here. And Megiddo, the city of Megiddo sits right here. And there's three passes through the mountain range, the Mount Carmel range, as it, it slopes down. There's three passages through. One of them is the Megiddo Pass. It comes out right here at the city of Megiddo. Uh, and Armageddon means the hill of Megiddo. Now, well, I'm going to read a bunch of verses. I'm going to shoot through a bunch of verses tonight. And, and you're going to think, be critical, and see if they tie together. Here's the basic over the presentation. In Revelation 16, the demons go off and collect all the, all the, they're all coming against Jerusalem. But they all come together, they assemble here. They assemble here. They're like uh, one of the commentators was talking about when uh, in, it was a, in, in World War II, the, everybody assembled at England and, and then they went to their different locations for some of the battles. And so all the nations will come here, all the kings will gather here with the intention of marching on Jerusalem. They're going to they're invade Jerusalem. The Jews, as Daniel said, we, we'd love to go through the verses, Daniel said it, Jesus said it, uh, they talk about it in Revelation, uh, are going to be down in the hills, the mountain range of Petra, Seir. Uh, Basra is right there. Teman is down here further, a little bit further south, not that far south, but of course my map's not accurate. Jesus is going to be here in Basra at some point. It appears that there's going to be an invasion of Jerusalem, and now we're in Zechariah 12. We've already read these verses, and they're going to fight back. They're going to be strong. It talks about the tents of Judah are delivered first. It talks about the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It talks about the house of David. And it seems to be there, there's, some kind, there's a victory right there, and they're fighting. But the Lord is on their side as they fight. In Zechariah 14, we have a strange thing that takes place because all of a city, sudden, the city is overrun, and the city, much of the city goes into exile. They're, they're, they're actually shipped off into you know, slavery or exile. The city is invaded. The women are raped. And so here appears to be a victory in chapter 12. Chapter 14, the city is being overrun. So are we getting two different invasions of, of Jerusalem, or are they the same event? Is it part of this right here? They come down in here and invade and start winning, and they continue to move on down into here to attack the Jews down here. One commentator says the tents of Judah are here because they're living in tents they're in hiding see we, I, when we went through chapter 12 we're thinking the tents are outside the perimeter of the city because the houses are inside well they're outside of the city but they're down here i'm just telling you the idea and we'll read some verses they come down here and at this point right here this is where jesus he comes back he appears here now and now here's how it works he appears here and as he comes up from Isaiah 63, his garments are stained with blood because he was the only one to come and defend his people. And then he slaughters everyone. The blood is flowing. He's going to then come up and enter, go through Jericho, right up to the Mount of Olives, and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Now, again, there's going to be a march up here as he fights the enemy up into Jerusalem and then brings deliverance to Jerusalem, who has been under attack, winning for a while, then set back. Do you understand that? So here's the assembly, the invasion, they continue. Jesus comes back, brings deliverance here, comes up. Now, I would have him going this way, but my Google map that I made had him going up this way, crossing through Jericho, which makes a lot of sense because that's what they would have done in biblical days because this is not, well, you decide. Okay, so you look on that page one, there you have it. Jezreel Valley, that's Nazareth is a city. It's right there on the hill. When they took Jesus to push him off a cliff, they were right there out there pushing him down off a cliff into the Jezreel Valley. And, and, and I, I've, I've stood there. 
in s throughout that valley. Um, then there's the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. And then there's Basra, which is marked right there. Clearly, Jesus comes from Basra, or the Messiah, with his garment stained blood. And again, that blood is clearly not the blood of the cross. I mean, it's not even in the context. Uh, turn the page, and here's another one. Now I've got Petra drawing on there. Uh, you see Basra, Petra. And that is the hill country, the, the mountain of... Uh, the mountain of uh, uh, the Sierra Mountains, that's that mountain range right there. Uh, notice the second map on page two. There's Basra. There's the modern, this is a modern map, of course, but that's Basra, Basra, that's Basra. That's the, that's the location of ancient Basra. If Jesus were to walk, he would walk, that's the route. If he's going to take a bus, if he would ride, that would be the route, that they, the highway there. And it's actually the King's Highway, and then it cuts through Jericho, just like when he came from Galilee, he came down from the top on the east side of the Jordan, crossed over into Jericho, and then went up the steep climb into Jerusalem. So it's exactly when Jesus went into Jerusalem for his Passover, or the, uh, the Last Supper, the, the triumphal entry, that he went, took that very same route up from Jericho. That's 132 miles. Uh, and then the next map, again, is just spread out a little bit more there. That little line there in the middle of that map shows 20 miles. That's the 20 miles. It's from the very bottom of the page. I tried to duplicate it. But you can see how far things are apart right there. Petra, again, is a mountain range. Uh, many people think that's where the Jews are going to go hide. When they go to the mountains, uh, when they go... And, as you know, the Antichrist will not be able to take uh, a Moab, Ammon, and Edom, and that is the land of Jordan. In fact, what you see right there, the little line, see the gray area? That is outside of Jordan. The south below that little line, that's part of Saudi Arabia. And so, and then bordering on that straight wall at the top there, and it's actually they're building a wall to keep the terrorists out uh, from up in Iraq. In, in Iran or Iraq. But anyway, that's the land of, of Jordan today. Now, with that, those maps to look at, I'm going to start and try to read a bunch of scriptures. Are you guys okay? I mean, are, are you, you with this all right? I mean, now, here comes a barrage of scripture that should support this, or you'll see holes in it. Uh, do you understand my concern for all the activity all over the map of Jesus being in different places? And again, the simplistic idea, not that it's wrong, but that Jesus is going to be in the Jezreel Valley fighting. Then his feet are going to land from the sky down on the Mount of Olives. Then somehow, this has always confused me, you know, he's in Basra coming up, and I, you know, I've read the verse many times knowing it's true, but... I thought he came, that he would come down here, goes back up, comes down here. But why is he striding in his glory? It, in Isaiah 53, he says he had no glory that would attract us. The word is completely the same word in Isaiah 63. Who is this coming in glory? And so he doesn't have it when he comes the first time. And he's coming, striding forward in glory, a, a winner of battle coming up here to complete the victory. So here we go. Chapter 12. We've already read this, chapter 12 of Zechariah, verses 1 through 9. Uh, I think if we would look at verses 1 through 9, do I have it written on here? Oh, yeah, part 1. Zechariah, point A, Zechariah 12, 1 through 9. The first three verses would be the initial part of the battle uh, before Jesus gets there, and then you'd have Zechariah 14, where they lose the city, and then you'd pick up with the Lord coming back or re-engaging in verse 4. So here's the first three verses, Zechariah chapter 12, verse, chapter, Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the spirit of man within him, declares, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples Reeling. Now, it doesn't say all the nations, the surrounding peoples. Now, that's the translation of the NIV. These would be the surrounding people since they've assembled. But Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. 
on that day when, well, here it is, all the nations of the earth are gathered against her. See, that's, that's Armageddon. All, they've all gathered here to come against Jerusalem. So that's Armageddon, right out of Revelation. Uh, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. They're not going to win this for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. Now, verse 4. On that day, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. Now, that's a break right there. You, you're going to have them invading. Right here, that first, ver, first three verses, they're invading. And then chapter 4, it starts talking about the panic. Well, we're going to get into the panic in chapter 14, where their flesh rots on their bones, including the horses, when the Lord shows up to fight. It's like, and that's now talking about when the Lord arrives in this place right here. Okay. On that day, I'll strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, declares the Lord. I will keep a watchful eye over the house of Judah, but I will blind all the horses of the nations. Again, interesting here. Again, it's, it's very simple to explain, but yet maybe that's too simple. In Revelation, in Ezekiel 38, 39, in all these verses, there's always horses, there's always swords, there's always shields. It's, it's ancient warfare. Uh, if we're going to be prophesying, it'd be nice to have some hints in there like, you know, the flying horses with the, you know, spears of light. It's like, wow, sounds like they're talking about a helicopter or something. But there's nothing like that. You can get this, the, the demons and the scorpions, but I think that's supernatural. I don't think that's talking about an Apache helicopter. I know Hell Lindsay tried to do that in the 70s. But I, I think that's clearly talking about spiritual activity. Uh, but nonetheless, the one question would be, and here's the thing, it's hard for us to wrap, again, it may just be that's the best they could do to describe it from their position, this is what it looks like, because they're in the ancient world. The other thing could be, and it's hard for us to admit this, is we could go back to the Dark Ages. I mean, in fact, Ezekiel 38 and 39 could send the world back to the Dark Ages. When they invade and everybody's destroyed in the mountains, and then all the major cities go up in smoke, go up in flames, something's happening. Is it God striking? Is it nuclear? Something. And all of a sudden, everybody's electricity is out. They can't recharge their electric tanks. Uh, all these things are going to fall apart, and they've got to go to horses. Now, my question would be right away, where are they going to get all the horses? I mean, if you're in the ancient world, that's your raising horses. Are we raising horses for military purposes? I mean, I don't know. But again, keep that in mind as you go through this. Is, are they speaking in a, a metaphor of modern warfare? Or are they actually identifying that we arise this age of technology and then we crash back into, it wouldn't be hard to do. I mean, it's scary to think how close we are to that uh, and, and how dumb we get. I mean, the more we use our phones and then you've got to figure artificial intelligence in here somewhere, which is all, I mean, with the rise of, for me, the rise of artificial intelligence, I need to go back and read through the whole book of Revelation again and actually reteach it. It gives a new insight into the beast putting the image that begins to speak and with its, it becomes alive and starts to speak and gives directions to kill everyone who doesn't receive the vaccination. I, I mean, the, the mark of the beast. But anyway, I mean, is that artificial intelligence combined? I mean, that's something, you know, you, you couldn't talk about in the 60s and 70s. I mean, you could, but, you know, Walt Disney, or, you know, Disney, they had the little robotic rats or something. It's like, well, that's not going to convince anybody. But now this artificial intelligence, I mean, they're even, even the people that are, well, you know, they're saying don't do it. it. It could destroy humanity. And I don't even understand it. I mean, I just read that and think, well, I agree with that. How do I, how come? I don't even know what it is. How, how just shut it off. Just unplug it. I don't know. Anyway, I will keep a watchful eye over the house of Judah, but I will blind the horses. Then the leaders of Judah will say in their heart, hearts, the people of Jerusalem are strong because the Lord Almighty is their God. And now he's coming, he, this would be on his, the second part of him coming back up. On that day, I'll make the leaders of Judah like a fire pot of, wo uh, of a wood pile, like a flaming torch among the sheaves. Now they're fighting alongside. See, this is interesting because they're fighting along. We've already taught this. But they're fighting alongside the Lord, or the Lord is empowering them to do this battle. They'll consume right and left all the surrounding peoples, but Jerusalem will remain intact in her place. 
the Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first. See, now right there, the dwellings, that is the word tent also. Does that, now wh- wh- why, and this is a question. We even talked about it. The Lord will save the dwellings of Judah first so that the honor of the house of David and of Jerusalem's inhabitants may not be greater than that of Judah. Now, is that be, where's Judah at? Why are, are they living in their own special neighborhood? Or are they down here? Or, I mean, that's what it says. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel Lord going before them. On that day, I will set out to destroy, here it is, I'll set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And that, that's that point right there. Okay, chapter 14 of Zechariah, our new material. We're, we're just introducing this tonight. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we're going to read up to chap- verse 5 because, you know, on that day, chapter, uh, v- chapter 14, verse 6, on that day there'll be no light, no cold or frost. It'll be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. In other words, He's, he's now switching over into the kingdom. He's resetting the clocks or something. And we're going into the millennial kingdom. On that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western sea. We'll talk about that. That matches with Ezekiel, what Ezekiel sees. But that's now after the battle. But the first uh, five verses, here we go. Uh, a day of the Lord is coming. Now, it, what, again, these verses then sandwiched together I'm presenting with chapter 12. It's not like a different battle. It's just like another perspective. And we've seen that happen in Zechariah already where he repeats, comes back, and explains it again. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. In other words, you're going to start to lose. And they would be losing this battle of all the nations coming against them. Verse 2, I will gather all nations. This is going to be a theme throughout all the verses I'm going to try to get through tonight. I will gather all nations. That's Revelation 16. He sends out demons to gather all the nations. And that's got to be, it doesn't have to be, but it sure seems like it's the same event because all the nations are being gathered in some kind of eschatological event to come against the Jews in Jerusalem. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. So now, this is what's taking place between chapter 12, verse 3, and chapter 12, verse 4, potentially. Again, I'm just making that presentation. If I'm making a chart, I would try to see if it fit there. Again, I mean, it's terrifying. I mean, the Lord is getting ready to deliver Jerusalem, and half the city will go into exile, uh, or the house is ransacked and the women are raped. I mean, why can't you come back 30 minutes earlier? I mean, I, I mean, that's just one of those questions like, why, why let this happen? But that's what the text says. Half the city will go into exile, so they're marching people out, just like on the walls of Nineveh's palace that Sennacherib had built that's in the British Museum. There's capped as there, a city is being attacked on this side in the murals, and the people are going off with their baggage and their carts to go into exile, and they're being led off by Assyrian soldiers. Meanwhile, the city is being burnt over here and attacked, and people are already being taken out. That's exactly what's taken. This is depicted in gypsum on the walls of Sennacherib's palace in the British Museum now today. You can see this very thing, but it's from 701, or excuse me, 720, yeah, 701 B.C. But the rest of the people will not be taken from the city, so some people are going to be left in the city. At that point, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Now, this is the second coming. Now, I would want him to coming back on the Mount of Olives right here, east of Jerusalem, and entering the city right here. You know, like the sky splits, boom, he comes back and wins the battle. But it's going to appear he's going to come back here first, and then he's going to come up and come over and enter through the Mount of Olives. Again, you don't have to accept that. But somehow this all has to take place. Because you can't have him, well, you can. Coming back in all these different places. Uh, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, now again, as he fights, now he fought with David. He fought with, uh, you know, Hezekiah. He fought with the different king. He fought with Moses and Joshua. But he wasn't like there. He didn't have boots on the ground. He was there 
working from the heavens, storms are empowering him. But here it says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. I mean, this is not like him just empowering, encouraging, giving them supernatural strength. He's going to have boots on the ground on the Mount of Olives. Now, is that him descending on the Mount of Olives? Or is that him coming up from Basra? On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. It doesn't say he lands on the Mount Now, again, Acts chapter 1 says the same Jesus who you saw leave will come back the same way now again does that mean he's going to come that right back down on the mount of olives i've always thought so but could we have him eventually be here but come back the same way clouds appear and come in the clouds in glory and isaiah makes a big deal in isaiah 63 striding forth in glory and walk here um East of Jerusalem, Mount of Olives, will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. This is interesting because there's also a great earthquake that splits the city in Revelation at the same time. And we won't go look at that. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it is extended Azel. You will flee as you did, and it talks about that. Okay, that is point A and B. Uh, we've already looked at Revelation 16, verse 14, uh, where it says they're going to be gathered. Uh, well, let's go ahead and go to Revelation 16, read the rest of that chapter. And now I'm checking the clock because now I'm looking at 20 weeks of Bible verses that I'm going to read to you in 15 minutes. Which, as we all know, something's going to break down here real fast. Chapter 16, verses 12 through 16 of Revelation. Verse 16. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now again, these kings from the east, I think, are coming from Iraq, the Babylonian area. Uh, we want to say China. I, that, I've taught that. Uh, then I saw... Three evil spirits that looked like frogs that came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world, all the kings of the whole world, to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Then Jesus says here, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that they may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Verse 16, then they gathered the kings together, the demons gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, or Armageddon, or Har Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. The city of Megiddo sits right here, and it's not like a huge hill, it's just the tell, it's this where the city is, and it overlooks this valley. This is called the Valley of Megiddo. So that's, they're gathered there. It says they gather, it doesn't say they fight there. They gather there for war. Um, okay, go to Joel chapter 3. Here we go, Joel chapter 3. Joel 3, verses 1 through 16. Now, some of the, again, if you look down there at point N and point P, uh, that those are also in Joel 3. So Joel 3, 1 through 16, I'm going to read all those verses, but chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, fit the part of the Lord returning to Jerusalem, and uh, Joel 4, 3, 14 through 17, fit the ideal of, again, him being from the Mount of Olives. But anyway, so we'll read all the verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. In those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations, there's your key phrase, and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now we went through this a few months ago, maybe a couple of years ago. Valley of Jehoshaphat simply means the valley that where the Lord judges. There's no valley that anyone knows of that's named Jehoshaphat. And we, we, maybe it's where Jehoshaphat marched out to meet the, and won the battle. Uh, but it basically means it's the valley where the Lord judges. It could be any valley. This is, most likely, the Kidron Valley right in front of uh, the Mount of Olives. 
if you run it out and then the wadi extends out and drains into the Dead Sea, that's where uh, Jehoshaphat marched and engaged the military where he won the battle with the band. But, uh, so it could be there, but he's marching the same valley. The key being, this is where the Lord is going to judge. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. So when Jesus tells that parable in Matthew, or not parable, story, when, I, when the king returns in his glory and he separates the people, like you know, the sheep from the goats, and he says to the sheep, you did these things, come into the glory, the king prepared for you. When did we see you? He says, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. Literally, that means when you did it to these, the Jews. When you treated the Jews that were being persecuted by, I mean, because that's what it says right here. He's referring to this verse right here. Then I'll enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. And then the goats, when did we ever see you naked or in prison or in need? He says, when you d- didn't do it for the least of these, my brethren, you didn't. He wasn't talking my brethren in the church. He's talking about my brethren. Well, at least if he's, if he's in context, he's talking about how, you, how your nation or individually you responded to his people. The Antichrist, Satan, was trying to destroy them. Were you part of that? Well, you're a goat. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes and sold girls for wine that they might drink. Now, what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon and all you regions of of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off the finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I'll sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans and nations far away. Now, some of this, it appears to have an overlap into the Old Testament, and a lot of these prophecies are going to have... Uh, double fulfillment and that's easy to explain because when we talk about the abomination of desolation that was set up by the solutions Antiochus Epiphanes set it up in the temple and the Maccabees had to cleanse the temple because that was the fulfillment but yet Jesus refers to it going to happen again in the future so there it, there can be double for Satan tries to get something done and it's going to happen a second time and so this is possibly a repeat of some events already happened in history. The Lord has spoken. Verse 9, proclaim this among the nations. And this is now talking about this event right here. Proclaim this among the nations, all the nations. Prepare for war. And again, this idea here is you may not want to, but you're going to. All of you are going to get ready for war. God is leading them into the valley of Armageddon. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Uh, beat your plowshares into swords. All of your farming equipment, agriculture equipment, you have no time for farming. You better get ready for war. And your pruning hooks into spears. Now watch this. This is mockery right here. Let the weakling say, I am strong. In other words, you are not ready for war, but all of your soldiers, you better get lined up and start saying, we're ready and start your war cry but you're not ready. You're all going to war, and no one's trained, no one's got weapons. Let your weakling say, I am strong, because you better start getting ready. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. I would assume Armageddon. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is the valley of Armageddon, and they're going to advance into Jerusalem, where the Lord is going to judge them. They're advancing from this place of assembly to the place of judgment. They think they're going to invade. They're going to the valley, from the valley of Megiddo to the valley of judgment. Uh, Let them advance the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. And right out of Revelation, or this goes into Revelation, swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. And again, when who, he says right here, I trampled the nations. He says, well, what is this garment? Why are your garments in blood? I trampled the nations 
just like you trample grapes, and that's exactly what's taking place here. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Now, they're not trying to decide. It's like, hmm, should we become Christians or not? I don't know if I'm going to accept. No, the Lord is making a decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. Now, I think, again, is Zion heaven? You can call that, he- you can, you got to consider that. I'm going to play this every time. My first option every time is Zion is Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. And Jerusalem is Jerusalem. Uh, that's why I'm going to play it every time. And that's going to help it make it, otherwise it's like, oh, they went to Zion. Well, all of a sudden, you got all this activity on the earth, and then the, now they're in Zion. Oh, oh, it switches to heaven. Or you're back here in Jerusalem. Again, that's the way I'm approaching it, not that it's right. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Um, then you'll know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. Um, I'm just looking here quick. Okay, let's go to another verse. Go to Micah, Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, verse 11. Chapter 4 begins, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, a chief among the mountains. That's going to be the result. We're going to see that take place in Zechariah 14. But we're looking in chapter 4, verse 11. But now, many nations are gathered against you. Now, he tells them all the good things are going to happen to Jerusalem and his plan. But now... All many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze. And you will break to pieces many nations. Once again, the people of Israel are fighting alongside the Lord in this, in this campaign. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Chapter 5, verse 1. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike, now watch, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now that is referring to the leader of, they're going to get into the city, possibly take out the leader if we're going to put it in eschatological text right here uh but chapter 5 verse 2 but you bethlehem of ephrathah ephrathah though you are small now he talks about the one coming from of old coming from bethlehem who is the true king is going to come to live they may have invaded and taken out the earthly king or leader at that time uh psalm chapter 2 psalm chapter 2 are you guys okay i i hope you're okay I don't want to look up and look at you because you may not be. You may be asleep, but I'm not going to look. Chapter 2 of Psalm. Here's a, a great psalm. And again, this is the constant conflict of Satan against Yahweh throughout history. It's going to culminate right here. Uh, psalm chapter 2 fits perfect in this event. Chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They gather together against Yahweh and the Messiah. An anointed one means Messiah. And they say, let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. That is what this is about. They're gathered together. They, they seem to know what they're doing. Look at our, our, our age today. People are throwing off the chains and fetters the lord has provided what are those chains and fetters they're reality i mean it's like you are born in this you are alive right now at this point in history well i don't want to be you have to be uh you are born this gender i don't want to be you have to be 
I mean, there, we are bound up by so much of reality. My, my own, I wish I was smarter, but I have a limited amount of an intellect. I wish I was a, a basketball player, but I have limited skills. Plus, I have a limited lifespan. I wish I could still move quicker, but I mean, every, I'm in bondage. I'm in bondage to reality. And something is going to get in their minds that they're going to be able to break and you throw out AI again. It sounds ridiculous. Why would they even think this? When, for me, when you, when you see Yahweh, when you meet Yahweh, you just realize, he, I mean, even if you've got a bad attitude about it, he's the creator, I'm the creature. All right, uh, my only play here is <laughs> I submit. Now, again, you know, you can do that with a positive attitude. But at no point, and you, then you wonder, what, what is Lucifer thinking? That he's going to overthrow his creator? I mean, that he, at what point is he going to go like, I'm never going to win? Or is there a thought they can't? And is, is this whole ideal of the spiritual warfare and artificial intelligence, is it going to get to the place where they think, we can pull this off? We can actually pull this off? Now, it makes no sense to me at this point in history but is there a place coming where they actually think, how about this? Tower of Babel. Let's go down and see. And they went down and saw, and they says, it says right in the text, the Lord says, if this, they all come together, and this is what they want to do, nothing will be impossible for them. I mean, that was almost like, well, not almost, it was a one-world government. It had the best intellect. And again, who knows, you know, we think they're all, you know, Stone Age people. I don't want to overstate it, but how advanced were they in their technology that the Lord himself looks and goes, yeah, this is not good. Anything they set their mind to, they can accomplish. Now, maybe not, you know, in the next 10 years, but they're on a track. They'll eventually overthrow my plan. And so he stopped that right 100 years after the flood. And so... And that was the Lord's evaluation. That's not my evaluation. These guys are stacking blocks on top. And they're going to build a temple to the sky. It's like, it'll fall over eventually. Let them build. God came down. He was concerned. It says, yeah, we've got to create nations out of this. We've got to give everybody different nations, different races, confuse them so they can never get along together. There's going to be divisions among people. And I've got to create division. Otherwise, they're going to unite against me. So I'll keep them fighting against each other so I can work my plan of salvation. That's exactly what the Tower of Babel was. Now, they're all gathered together, demonically gathered together, with the thought right here, let us throw off their fetters and break their chains. And they're talking about breaking the chains of Yahweh and the Messiah. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I've already established the king of the world. It's the Messiah. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He says, you are my son. It goes on. You know those verses. Therefore, David writes in verse 10, therefore you kings, right here, these kings in the future or the kings in David's day, he gives them some advice. Listen, you kings be wise. We could say this to the world leaders today. This should be hanging over the doorway of the United Nations. Whenever they walk in, they should have to look up and recite this. You kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. And kiss the son or pay homage to the son, the coming king. Even though you're a king today, you better be kneeling right now today to the coming king. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you be destroyed in your way, right here, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. They've all gathered together. Let's throw off their chains. Let's march on Jerusalem. The Lord laughs. He scoffs. And then David gives them a warning, or the text gives them a warning. Listen, pay homage to the sun. His anger can flare up in a moment and destroy you. And right here in Basra, his anger is going to flare up, and these nations are going to be destroyed. Uh, okay. Yeah, then the last, ver last part of the verse Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You're going to come to that choice. Are you going to fight? Or are you going to just say, I'll take refuge in the Lord? Well, you're going to be blessed. That's the sheep and goats right there, obviously, as you know. Um, 
I'm going to go to Isaiah 60. I'm going to pick this up next week, if you don't mind. Isaiah 63. I'm going to come back to Isaiah 34 next week, but I want to read Isaiah 63 because we've been talking about that. Somewhere in this sequence of events, they've been gathered here. They march on Jerusalem. There's a war. They take half the cities taken, but eventually the Lord is going to show up. But before he shows up, he's coming right here. Chapter 63, verse 1 of Isaiah. Who is this coming from Edom, from Basra? And if you've got it pinned right there on those Google Maps, right there, with his garments stained crimson. So we, you can see right there on a Google map where Basra's at. Now, he's coming from Basra. It doesn't say he lands in Basra, comes down at Basra. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, he's going to appear in glory, but he's going to be in Basra. And he's going to be striding from Basra with his garment stained crimson. And then it goes on and asks. Isaiah asks again, who is this robed in splendor? That is your word, Hadar, in the Hebrew. It means glory. It's the same word that says that the Messiah in Isaiah 53 had no hadar, had no glory, had no majesty that we should be attracted. Now, it appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he had no hadar that we should be attracted. He looked just like a Jew, like a normal man. But this one right here, who is this robed in hadar? He's come back in glory, like all the prophecies say, striding forward in the greatness of his strength. Who is this? He answers, it is I speaking. Maybe this is some kind of like a, a CNN interview. And, you know, boots on the ground at the scene right here. Who is this striding forth in glory of God? It's I. And he says, it is I speaking in righteous, mighty to save. And they got a microphone in his mouth trying to follow him along. I don't know. Why are your garments stained red like those of one treading a wine press? It looks like you've been working in a wine press. Well, I have trotted the wine press alone. From the nations, no one was with me. Of all the kings that were warned, kiss the sun lest he be angry. Of all the kings, none of them joined me. You can come help me. You want to fight with the Antichrist and meet in Armageddon? Or you want to meet me in Basra? Well, they're all here. I'm down here by myself. It is I, speaking to the righteous, why are your garments stained? I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Now do realize, see this right here? They're down here. He's trampling the nations here. They met here. They marched on Jerusalem. They won the battle and apparently continued to pursue the Jews who were hiding down here. Again, you don't have to accept that, but now it all's flowing together. Jesus appears here destroys first the tents of Judah, or saves the tents of Judah, and now he's marching again. I've got the Google Maps put the trail going up around through Jericho. I want to go just straight up here, you know, like that. You could go either way, I suppose. In fact, I've, I've driven this way before. Uh, I've trodden the wine press alone. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Again, you see the word wrath. Their blood spattered my garments, not the blood of the cross. Their blood is on my garments. And I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my re redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. After all these years, no one was there. So my own arm worked salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. I mean, what kept you going? My wrath? You think that's a bad thing, but the Lord's wrath is driving this plan of salvation. I trampled the nations in my anger, in my wrath. I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. And then chapter 60, verse 7, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord. That's the word hasid, means covenant love. I will tell of the covenant love of the Lord, the deeds for which he is be praised. I've got to quit, uh, and we can pick this up next week, but it's going to just continue. And we'll go through some more verses and then go back to Isaiah 14. It's going to be easier to look at Isaiah 14 when we kind of understand what's taking place uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll learn some things and uh, clear up some things, have some things challenged. And again, you don't have to agree with me because I've got books out there that don't agree with what I just said, so I don't agree with me. So that's that. I wish I'd never written a book, you know, maybe Framework. Just wrote Framework. And Jerusalem, that's got some nice pictures. But just stop writing. Just stop writing. In fact, just maybe stop teaching. Stop recording everything. Just 
Yeah, you just stop. No, you know, but that, I mean, that's, that's probably, I mean, you got to, you got to, you know, place a bet. You got to make, make a call and move on. I'll pray if you guys got a comment or something. So you make it. Father, we do thank you again for the chance to look into your word. Uh, we do thank you for the, the hope that we have, that we may face difficulties, we may face, face persecution, but that there is a plan, there is a hope, and that our trust is in you and we do seek refuge in you. We do not want to harden our hearts. We do want to bow our hearts, bend our knee, and allow you to work your will in our lives and that we may be part of this, this process of victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thank